Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Astute trainers with proper training tools are always the key to unleashing your dog's full potential. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and ball training to support dog owners in developing top-notch working dogs. Trusted by professional dog trainers, canine officers, and hunters, Dogtra enhances your training journey with durable training products equipped with patented, accurate, intuitive controls and technology to ensure the best experience. Join us, and together we can make every dog exceptional. Find them at dogtra.com. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you by Highland Canine Training, LLC, offering unbeatable police canine training and handler education programs that are science-based, research-driven, and some of the most progressive programs in the industry. Go check them out at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number 9, training.com. TrueScentK9.com. That's the letter K, the number 9. TrueScentK9.com. Actual explosive odors suspended in silica, not a pseudo. Hit them up. TrueScentK9.com. At Working Dog Radio, are so proud of our relationship with Southern Coast Canine. Bill Heiser does some amazing work down there in Florida. Go see for yourself all they have to offer at www.southerncoastcanine.com. That's Southern Coast, the letter K, the number 9.com. Southern Coast Canine. Better training, better results, better dogs. Yeah, we are back. It's Ted at Working Dog Radio broadcasting a bite. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Well, uh, you know, it never got above 45 today. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> yes. The, the sun was out, too, and it was freaking cold, man. I'm not I, I'm not ready. I'm a warm weather guy. I, I mean, I don't mind hoodie weather. Freaking today was coat weather. I had my car hard up coat on. This is some <laughs> bullshit. It's not quite that bad here, thank God. It's yeah, not, it's, it's, it's weird. It'll still, I haven't taken my boat out of the water yet. Um, my neighbor, I looked where our boats, we have lifts like real close to each other. And I noticed his is still in there too. So I'm going to outlast him. Um, <laughs> where, where, when I take it to the marina, when I drive it across the lake to the marina, I'm going to have snot coming out of my nose because it's so freaking cold. But I'll win. <laughs> I will be last. We're at that, so, we're at that weird point in the season now where I got to wear a hoodie in the morning and by about 11 o'clock, I'm fucking dying and I got to take my hoodie off off and i got a sock hat on i'm like all right this is enough and so yeah that's that's what's going on but aside from that i got the same stuff going on i got a bunch of handler schools going on from now until like right before the week before christmas Uh, a bunch of dogs going to their departments getting finished up uh i'm polishing them up and getting them ready and you're let me ask you this real quick so when you're doing a handler school um when i'm doing you know now you know the the big standards these five and six week deals right and then i do i do the longer ones for my department like 14 weeks Uh um by the time even the six week class is over everyone is sick of me 
and I am sick of them. And we were talking to, uh, I was talking to my buddy Aaron Taylor one day, and he was talking about his old agency. They do a 26-week handler school. Well, 26 yeah. weeks. Yeah, dude. I can't imagine making it through 26 weeks without a murder-suicide. Well, no, our guest tonight can talk about that because he's from. <laughs> a, he, he handled in a state that has a super long uh, patrol mandatory thing, or like a mandatory patrol school too, and then like Massachusetts, another one. Uh, you know, uh, for instance, you know, while we were up in Massachusetts, we had uh, shit like three or four dudes that were still in school that were up there. And I mean, they're in there for 630, 40, I don't know, a lot of hours, <laughs> a lot yeah. of time. They're in there for like six months. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, and then I think New Jersey is the same way. They have like a 22 week or a 20 week school or something ridiculous. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's not, and you know, when they're like, "Oh, we buy green," and you're like, "Oh, how long's your school?" And they tell you like twenty weeks. I'm like, "Oh, you buy green, green." Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got you. I see what's going on. So yeah, you're delivering puppies and then right. putting them to work. Right. No, you're you're like so you're selecting the dire sire and the dam then, and so you're picking a fucking puppy then. Mm. No, that yeah. So nah, uh, no, my, ours are not. Um, you know, I, I think the states that do that are. Um, but, well, I mean, there's only like 10 states in the country that have mandatory certifications anyway. But, you know, there's not that. I have to look. I don't know off the top of my head, but there's not a lot of them that require that. Um, and to be honest, a lot of departments can't, you know, afford to do that, especially if, you know, you got 10 dudes on a department and they're like, oh, you're going to be gone for 16 weeks. You're like, fuck. I mean, no, they, a lot of the people can't, they can't do that. So yeah, we do the five and the six week ones where, you know, the dog is basically done, done, done when they show up and, uh, they're with me for that a length of time. And then, you know, they go and they do their thing. So I will say this though. Um, one of my specialties since I took over as trainer has been green dog, green handler it. And I'm telling you people like, Oh, screw that. That really sucks. You want to talk about making yourself a better trainer, start with a green dog and a green dude and watch these two develop together at the same time. And granted, you're not doing it in five weeks, but uh, there is, there is some, there's definitely some satisfaction out of it. I'll say that I, I, I didn't hate it, but by the end of 12 or 14 weeks, I was like, God dang, man, I wish this was over because this dude, this dude is making mouth noises and I want to kill him. And he's <laughs> sick and tired of hearing me say the same shit over and over and over again. So, well, anyways, so who do we got tonight? Well, we have Justin Rigney. Um, this is an interview that we've actually wanted to do for quite a while and timing and circumstances and just general shit got in the way. Um, but Justin's with us tonight. Justin, what's up? How are you guys? Good. You know, Justin, I wanted to do, my plan was to kind of do this when we were in Albany, um, sit down with you. And um, I just, in the evenings, I got too drunk. (laughs) I couldn't. (laughs) I noticed that, bro. Right. I I mean, and and, hey, listen, this podcast paid dividends because I didn't buy any drinks. So (laughs) it it worked out pretty good. Great, man. So before we get into it, uh, before Ted gets like into your background stuff, so I had I had heard of Justin, you know, through through the grapevine a little bit, and um, I went to one of the uh, antiquated magazine seminars um, several years ago, and and Justin put on a power biting seminar. We'll get into that his class, uh, a power biting, and it's a lot of based around the bungee, and I. Um, 
I do bungee work. I've shown a ton of videos of it. And I picked up a bunch of little tidbits and tips from <clears throat> Justin in that he's a real good teacher. He, um, he makes his stuff real easy to understand and it makes sense. So, uh, when I see guys like that, those are kind of guys that I like to, to keep in contact with. So, so I definitely been, um, you know, looking forward to this and, um, uh, I really appreciate you coming on Ted. Yeah, so Justin, uh, I guess you know now uh, you are retired. Um, you have moved out. You were in Florida forever. So um, before that, you played baseball, correct? Yeah, once upon a time in a past life, man. Yeah, I played ball. <laughs> Who did you play for? Who did you play for? Eons ago. Well, I got signed by the Atlanta Braves um, in uh, 1993, the amateur uh, Major League Baseball draft, and I lasted a couple of years. My elbow had enough, and actually, it's the only job I ever got fired from. So, yeah, <laughs> I lasted uh, a couple short, just a short stint, and uh, I just played rookie ball, man. But I was, it was at a time where uh, I think right around the right when I got released, man, they had that that strike. And I was actually thinking about being a scab and getting prepared. Ooh. My elbow was hanging, man. So it took some time to to heal. I think I was like 23 or 4 at the time. I was an old man for, for baseball terms. So <laughs> I never did that scab thing. Never crossed the line. But, yeah, it was a great experience, man. It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about, you know, the things that prepared me for a lot of things that came later in life. And I was grateful for that experience. So it's good well, Were you a pitcher? Yeah, that was kind of by mistake, man. I was uh, – I was always an outfielder. I'm, I'm, I'm totally ass backwards, man. I throw left-handed and uh, bat right-handed, mm-hmm. which there's nowhere to put that individual. They want you to do the opposite or left on left. So I played first base, played the outfield. I couldn't really run for shit, but I could throw and hit with most people. And and uh, I played at Florida State for a year, got a scholarship down there, banged heads with a coach and bounced and went to uh, Tallahassee Community College where uh, we had a bunch of doubleheaders backed up with rainouts down there. And I ended up just getting on the hill and throwing. I could throw 90 miles an hour for a couple innings as a left-hander. That's a commodity in baseball. So mm-hmm. I actually ended up getting a, a scholarship to the University of Miami as an outfielder and pitcher. And uh, there was a guy there at the time named Laser Colazzo who uh, was at Florida State, but he split, didn't like what was happening, went back to Miami, and he, uh, he tracked me down and, and offered me a scholarship. So typical shit, man. My grades were no good, and uh, I ended up signing. <laughs> you know, I, Detroit called. Detroit was in the, like the 20 or maybe like the mid-round, like 15 to 20th round, and offered me a position as an outfielder. My old man said, don't do it, go to school. And uh, that, after that is when the Braves just drafted me without even talking to me as a, as a pitcher. And then I uh, got my grades back in the summer, and there was shit. And uh, everybody was in Alaska playing summer ball or in Cape Cod. I couldn't get a hold of anybody, so I ended up just signing with the Braves. Gave it a shot for you know almost two years, and mm-hmm. like I said, it was a great experience, man. But uh, like I said, it's the only job I ever got canned from. So. What was your pitch? Good time. You know, I, I started throwing what, what did my elbow in is I started throwing three-quarter sidearm, which put a lot of movement on the ball. I couldn't pump 90 for a couple innings, but, you know, high 80s with a lot of movement, and I had really nasty changeup. But, uh, you know, I'm just not structurally built to be a pitcher. No. I probably should have been a catcher. But um, yeah, For, for you those of you who don't I, know, I, Justin, have never met him. He's a thick dude. So uh, <laughs> he, he's like uh, Bartolo Colon before there was Bartolo Colon. 
<laughs> yeah, that dude, he's not, he's not, he's a freak of nature, but that dude can bring a hundred mile an hour gas and he's built like a, like a linebacker, man. So <laughs> it, it, it was cool, man. In, in high school, I was fortunate enough to get picked to, um, to the daily news. I grew up in Connecticut. So the daily news puts on a, a tri-state all-star game, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. They select several players from each state and they play a game in Yankee stadium and the old Yankee stadium. So that was cool, man. And I was always a huge Don Mattingly fan. That was that was my idol back in the day, and uh, I got to sit where he he planted his cleats, man. So that was a really cool experience. I got to play in the uh, the Minnesota Metrodome and uh, the miles of Florida State. So it took me some real cool directions, man. It was, a, it, was, it was a very great experience. So how did you transition from that into law enforcement? Well, that's a little bit of a long story, man. So I uh, – you know, always as a kid, I was fascinated with uh, with dogs and, and animals and stuff like that. And dogs brought me into police work, really, is a short answer. Like my first love was horses, believe it or not. And uh, I actually wanted to be a jockey as a young kid. And I discovered you are food. way too big kinda... to be a jockey. Yes, again. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I was a kid, that movie, The Black Stallion, came out, man. I, I was just awestruck that was me that was my goal man but believe it or not i learned a lot about horses and animal behavior at a young age and that was kind of the onset of my fascination with animal behavior but you know when i was uh it became dogs you know sometime around high school um but but baseball is always my passion i'm uh was really knee deep in that and that career ended i and i always had an, an idea of, of one to, to be involved with dogs and training i had a roommate in college a guy named todd harrell I had a couple, I had a Rottweiler that he used to do some tricks with. I was just blown away, man. So that was kind of the onset of that. And then it became, uh, when I got released from baseball, I moved back to Connecticut where I'm originally from and, you know, started laboring in construction during the day. I was trying to finish my degree at night. And we'd drive around, you know, these delis during the day in Stanford, Connecticut, where I was working. And uh, I would see a guy's business card in all these delis. And back then, there was no social media. There was no advertising. It was yellow pages or billboards. So I would see this guy's... Uh, business card in these delis who's called uh, dogs unlimited the guy's named chris byrne who's uh now operates stonehill kennels he's, he's a very dear friend of mine yeah till today even till today and uh, he gave my start in dogs so i called him up man i was looking to get a you know involved with, with dog training he provided a uh, an apprenticeship for dog trainers and my first day on site man he had me in the suit and <laughs> he had me uh running his guard dog service route you know helping out with puppy training kennel management so I'm, I'm blessed with that early experience with Chris. And from then on, just to kind of fast forward the tape to answer your question, I, I got very involved with IPO. Chris introduced me to a guy named John Rodriguez, who in that part of the country in that time was very well known, one of, one of the top trainers. And he was the uh, training director for the Connecticut Working Dog Association, which is an IPO powerhouse back in the day. And I got educated on some very, very strong dogs back then. We shared a field with the Connecticut Police Working Dog Association that was run by a guy named Bill Scribner, which I just heard he recently retired. And, uh, you know, just like it is today, it's a lot hard for civilians to cross over into that law enforcement community. But, you know, back then I was in shape. I was an athlete and I was dedicated. And, and Bill Scribner kind of saw that I could help him with his program. So he, he put me in a suit. I started decoying Napa Water. Uh, certifications in the 90s, early 90s, and uh, I was hooked, man. I'd hear all the war stories, man, the guys would get together and talk about the, the pursuits, the bailouts, the tracks, and, uh, you know, obviously being a huge fan of dogs, I was hooked, man, and that was my dream. So, you know, simultaneously, um, I was I started processing for agencies up in Connecticut, 
but it was a polar opposite of what was happening in Florida. In Connecticut, you had two or three hundred applicants going for two or three jobs and they were pretty much granted already. They're just going through the motions. So it was very difficult to get on back then. This is in the mid, uh, actually the late nineties. So I'm doing my IPO thing, man. I'm, I'm doing a lot of pet training at the time, you know, knee deep and trying to get educated in dogs. And this guy named Phil Holscher, um, who is a, you know, one of the godfathers of IPO in this country. Um, he'd come up to Connecticut, I think twice a year and give a, a seminar at the IPO club I was training at. So, you know, him and I linked up, we, uh, we, we, we clicked pretty quickly, man. He, uh, he had an opportunity down in Florida, um, where I could come down and uh, work with his club, which was a, was a powerhouse too. They were doing it. They were putting a lot of titles on dogs and going to big championships and still wrote the book. So, you know, he opened his club, he opened up, uh, you know, his techniques and, and he offered me a position to come down there. And there was a girl in that club, um, the South Florida shipping club named Robin Holly, who's, who's a really good friend. She, she offered me a, a room to rent. I could set up kennels in her barn. She had a nice, nice size property and it just kind of flowed, man. And <laughs> one thing happened to another. I actually was about to buy a property in Connecticut right along 95 to set up my dog training business. I, I, you know, kind of branched off with Chris and, uh, I was going to do my own thing, but the property fell through and boom, this thing happened with Phil. And before you know it, I was out, man. I, you know, I just, I jumped and I went down to Florida, um, started decoying and started doing a lot of IPO stuff. Phil gave me a lot of private work to, you know, keep my, keep, keep rolling with some money coming in. And one of the guys in the club, um, was a guy named Marlon Lewis, um, who's a really good dude, still a very good friend. He, uh, is now, I think the number two guy in the town of Davie, uh, he's not the mayor. He's like the sub guy. I don't know exactly his position. I can't remember. But anyway, he was very good friends with the guys in the town of Davie police department, especially their canine unit where I nearly went out. I was in Florida, maybe a few weeks. I was out there helping those guys catching their dogs. And they were, they were very receptive to, uh, me coming out. So I was hooked, man. So I, I started dropping applications all over, you know, Broward County, which is basically Fort Lauderdale. And it was the opposite thing I experienced in Connecticut, man. They had tons of openings, but they couldn't find qualified people. So it was kind of rapid fire, man. I, I uh, got hired by Davey and, uh, was in canine shortly after, um, my probation, but it was weird, bro. I never, I never shot a gun before the Academy. I was never a gun guy. Wow. Maybe shot a BB gun or something like that. But it was, it was the dogs that, that drew me into law enforcement. That's crazy. That's a, that's, I mean, that's quite the journey, like way deep into dogs before law enforcement. You don't, you just don't hear that a lot. Yeah, there's, I've maybe run into a couple guys that kind of went in that route, and, and um, you know, it, it it blessed me, man. It gave me so many opportunities, but in the same breath, it cursed me. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. But it's uh, I'm I'm so grateful for the experience that I got as a civilian dog trainer. And it's uh, I, I'm I'm like a behavior junkie, man. I'm a total behavior geek, and uh, I've just been fascinated from day one. It's never stopped, and I've just been very blessed and very fortunate to to be in front of people early on in my career. You know, the early imprinting of the dogs is crucial. Well, it's the same, I believe, in people. I was very fortunate. You know, back then you were you were a victim of your geography. You know, wherever you're at, wherever you're growing up, and whoever is around you, you either you know you 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 mold and, and they they teach you, they educate you, and you maybe just a kind of a your ceiling is what they know, but I was, I was blessed, man. I was very fortunate to be in front of people that were very, very talented. 
and it opened my eyes and exposed me to some other trainers. And it was always, for me, it was always about um, moving on and, and not moving on, but moving ahead and getting more information. There were one of these little tight little tribes where they don't want you going outside the tribe. It was always open. Like that guy, John Rodriguez, I mentioned, he, 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 you know, always when there was seminars going on, he, he invited me. And, uh, you know, especially with guys like Helmet Riser and you know, some of those early, early on, was, those, those guys that were manipulating behavior and aggression before it was even thought about. And so, man, it is. It was, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different story. Most most guys become cops for, for their own reasons, and then they see the dog thing and they gravitate to it that way. But it was the opposite for me, man. Dogs brought me into police work. Yeah, that's definitely the opposite, the opposite way of going. So, um, were you when you get into it from Connecticut? You like a fish out of water down there in South Florida? Well, for me, man, I was just you know I was embraced by a lot of people that were open minded and, and wanted to learn and wanted their dogs to be the best. And they, you know, still so we're going back to almost twenty years, so I was still pretty young in my education, but I was equally as hungry, if not more. And uh, they liked that. And, and they embraced that. And, uh, you know, it just got, it got fast-tracked. And, and back then, man, you know, it was when, you know, 9-11 popped off and, and the world embraced mm-hmm. cops. And it was just a diff- different era, just a different time. And uh, I, I got trained. I got educated by some amazing people, man. A, a good friend of mine, Kevin Kilpatrick, was my, my FTO, you know, Army veteran. The dude did narcotics, did SWAT, did canine, did everything. Man, he taught me about real police work, you know, when you got to crack skulls, you crack skulls, but even more importantly, how to articulate all your actions and, and operate within the law and case law. And, and back then it was embraced, man. And, and we could spend days talking about how law enforcement's changed today. Mm-hmm. But I am forever, forever grateful for being in that environment at that time where I could get educated because as my career evolved and, and, and law enforcement changed drastically, I was able to change with the tides and survive until I got to the point where I had the bounce, but, um, it, it was weird, man. I, I'd spent some time in Florida cause my, you know, my college days and, and, uh, actually spent a little time in West Palm before, and before I even went back to Connecticut. That was actually stationed with the Braves in West Palm beach, which is kind of odd, man. <laughs> They're, uh, they would, they, they would go from, uh, <laughs> it was right down the street, man, where I started, you know, became a cop. It was just kind of things came full circle, but I was a little familiar, a little familiar with Florida. I, I dated a chick back in the day that was, that lived in Hollywood, Florida, and we'd go down there on, on breaks and stuff like that. So it wasn't completely foreign, but yeah, I know when, uh, thick. Oh yeah, when I when I was younger, um, West Palm was like um, a place like you would hear about. That was a great place to go visit, and um, I think by the end of the '90s, early 2000s, they had, was pretty much uh, eaten up by drugs. Or is that incorrect? No, it is, man. It's 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 got to be the most violent, uh, disgusting, you know, place you can imagine, bro. There's just I swear, I don't even know. I sit here and think about how how it got the way it did. But I swear to you, like, there's there's got to be a ridiculous amount of growth hormone in the food down there. Like, the, the criminals are like elite criminals, man. They do like 
Olympic shit. And uh, <laughs> it, it's, inc- it's incredibly, it, it's, it's the worst cocktail you can imagine, bro, because it's the it's most disgusting liberal environment you can imagine. It's complete hug-a-thug. When I tell you, especially in West Palm Beach, it was different in Broward because I worked for the Davy Police Department for almost six years and then went up to West Palm. And in Broward, bro, they put it on, dudes. I mean, they, I was still getting called back for years for cases, even sh- shitty little misdemeanor dope cases. Like, you, those, those state attorneys in Broward, they were young and they were hungry and they wanted to, to get into the private sector, but they wanted court time to get their feet wet and they were aggressive. They pursued cases. It was a polar opposite in West Palm Beach. When I tell you about nothing happens to criminals in West Palm Beach, it's zero. It doesn't matter if they, if we're the victim, especially they shoot at us, dope cases, whatever. Nothing, bro. Time served, time served. This revolving door. And if the general public really knew what happens in that county, there, there'd be absolute disgrace. But of course, nothing would happen because of the corruption. But it, it's crazy, bro. It's uh, it, it you have you have everything in the world from Trump money, bro. Trump chilling right there in Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach to right. the most violent the most violent, disgusting, you know, hoods you can imagine. Everything in between, bro, with the redneck trailer parks and, you know, mm. freaking, you know, sugarcane fields and high-rise build. It's everything in the world there. And it's, Florida is, is the fast and the furious, and everything's extreme down there, man. Like, you ever watch these shows like the ID Channel or any of these wacky, like, murder case shows, bro? It's always Florida. <laughs> it's always Florida. You know, my wife was a cop down there for 20, 24 years in Hollywood, Florida, and, you know, she saw it all. We just could not wait to get out of there. So, yeah, that's the joke I always tell. I, I'll see something crazy in the news, and I'll see it, and Alicia will show it to me. I'm like, uh, Florida. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Nor- yeah. Always, bro. <laughs> it's something always. fucking it's crazy always going down there. <laughs> bro, here in Tennessee, the news is so boring, and we love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, let me give you, let me give you an example of, of the liberal the violent criminals in the liberal environment so back back in the day we had this crew called the bump and rob crew like what they would do they rent a car they pull up to a traffic light tap the car in front of them like two miles an hour people think it's a fender bender they'd pop out of the car take people hostage at gunpoint abduct them carjack put them in their own car they would drive to atm machines they'd make people loot their atm machines empty them out you know pistol whipping there was shootings there was rapes just a nasty nasty crew bro so these you know the millennial influx into law enforcement has their, their advantages too they're up on technology so what they started doing is when they get carjacked in their own car they leave their phones in their car we start tracking their phones and we got a lot of these these people man we got a lot of them in custody the car chases and dog bites and you name it well the state attorney didn't like all the paper getting on their desk so what they told us is that we could no longer compel the victim to track their own phone because it is a violation of the suspect's right to privacy. Oh my gosh. Wait, Wrap what? your head around that, bro. <laughs> this is yeah, a- yeah. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> armed carjacking, armed carjacking, kidnapping, rapes, stolen via- bro, name it. These crew was dirty and they came at us and said we cannot compel the victim to ping their own phone, you know, find my iPhone, whatever apps they have, bro. They, they told us we cannot tell the victim to do that because it's a violation of the suspect's right to privacy. Wow. 
that's how disgust that's how disgusting it is down that room. We 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 uh, I could spend days on that, bro. It's, Holy shit! It's a, that's that's a shithole. You were down there, and it's a shithole. I mean, there's a reason Florida shows like a dick. So, you were down there, and, <laughs> and you know, you, you, <laughs> I'm just saying, um, you know, you ran or were, you know, a large part of one of the large. I mean, how many how many dogs did uh, West Palm have? When we had uh, sixty dogs department wide. Sixty six zero. Yeah, I know, our, fucking, we were, I know, I know uh, fucking states that don't have sixty. So it was one county sheriff's office that had one, 60. bro. Dig this, dig this. We're spoiled rotten, bro. We our budget for canine alone was four million dollars. <laughs> what? What? Hold, hold, what's a budget <laughs> for canine? I don't, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> what? I don't get it. You just you didn't have to like uh, beg for shit. No, bro. No. <laughs> So, That's insane. I mean, bro, there was, there was, I mean, we could talk for days about the yeah. nonsense, but yeah, there was, it, it, bro, yeah, we had two, two buildings. We had, you know, we had kennels for, you know, when the guys go out of town, the, the dogs, they parked them at the facility, you know, it was 24 seven yeah. care. It was five acre lighted training field, you know, it was immaculate, you know, all the, wow. all the bells and whistles, but it was smoke and mirrors, man, when you get yeah. down to it, but yeah. So when you came in there. That, you come in there with your uh, your pet background and the sport background. Did did people embrace that, or did they treat you like uh, you're still a fucking rookie? Well, this is where I fucked up, man. I kind of said I said it before that I I uh, you know, my early experience helped me and it cursed me. So even when I was at Davie before I went to Palm Beach County, there was guys that I so always lived in Palm Beach County and commuted th- down to Davie with a separate separate county. So I always got linked up with the local canine guys. Well, I met a couple of cool dudes where they're having issues with their dog and basically showed them the power biting system. And it was a very quick success. You know, a couple of these guys were one, one particular guy's dog was a little bit soft and it worked for him. The other guy with the dog had genetically had the tools. The handler was a very, very good cop, um, always in the mix and, and loved the fight. And uh, the dog was a little bit overwhelmed by his presence. So, you know, part of the power biting system is that it, it reduces, drastically reduces handler conflict. And so long story short, as I fixed these problems pretty quickly and the guys were raving about it. Well, people that are secure with themselves and, and or, or look forward to learning stuff and want them and their dogs to be the best they can embrace it. But people that are extremely in- insecure and, uh, you know, do everything they can to mask their incompetence were, were threatened by that. So even before I got in the agency, I was tagged. And uh, those individuals that are super incompetent and, and scared to death of being exposed for what they don't know um, is ultimately what, what led to my issues there. You know, I was able to, to get into the unit. It took me three, about three years. There's no opening. No, nobody leaves that unit unless they're booted out like me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a five, it's, they make a lot of money, man. They make 5% pay increase. They drive around brand new Tahoes. You know, they get a canine allowance, tons of overtime. I mean, nobody's leaving that position. So, you know, I, I got in when there was an opening, luckily. Um, the lieutenant at the time believed in me and, and saw through the bullshit. And, and he said, he sat me down and said, look, I don't need a trainer. I need a handler. And he said, your day may come to be a trainer. And I said, yes, sir. I just shut my mouth. And, uh, I was, I was blessed with a, with an amazing animal. Uh, we got most of our dogs from Tony Guzman and Tony, uh, we got, we got a dog from Tony that was, you know, 
I just had to be an Uber driver, man. He was a fucking incredible dog. So I went out there and produced, which hurt me as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the egos and insecurities, you know. So, you know, I, I got my chance to train. And uh, I produced some very good dogs and some dog teams. And it just kind of... You know, those individuals that believed in me continued to support, and those egos got more and more damaged. The insecurities got deeper and deeper as as more and more production, you know, dog teams and statistics. And I don't have to tell you guys; you guys know the drill. So, oh, yeah. Now I, that's that's crazy to me. The sixty dog, it's insane. Now, what um, what year was it when you get in the unit? Oh uh, nine. Oh, 90. Uh, yeah. How many explosive dogs do you have then? Shit, man. I think it was, uh, we were heavy on explosives. So, well, wow. 60 dogs is including uh, the courthouses, including narcotics in it, including search and rescue dogs. We, I, every, like, every unit had dogs, man. So, um, I think we were in, uh, <clears throat> we probably had 20. Four, three or four dual dogs. So I would say there's probably, especially when Trump, you know, that when Trump got in and, and they got, you know, they knew that that day was coming. A lot of guys that were dope dogs and, and now retiring out dogs went to uh, explosives because they were going to tap into that, that infinite well of overtime, you know? Yeah. Even so, an 09, wanna, that's pretty, even an 09, that's pretty uh, progressive to have a ton. I mean, I'm sure 911 blew that up. <laughs> But uh, even yep, nine, even sure. after nine eleven, nine years ago, there's still a lot that don't have them. Oh, yeah, it was the you know the the unit went from like ten to fifteen dual dogs to twenty five quickly with a grant. I can't remember when it was before I got there, but it was some grant that came in that that bumped them up tremendously as far as you know the dual dogs are concerned. And I, I believe it was because of the need for explosive dogs. Oh, so you mean that you can actually have a dual-purpose explosive dog? No, don't wow! Tell don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh yeah, they'll just they'll just jump and eat the bombs if if they're uh, if they're bite dogs. Uh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we always we always got the maximum return on investment. You know, the dogs are capable of doing dual, so we always did it. And our even our star dog was a dope dog, and you know, GSP that I just did before I left. She was a, a dope dog and a tracking dog, so yeah, we always got the one. most out of the money. I literally just finished one exactly a GSP. Uh, he's in a county that has one of our dual purpose narcotics and apprehension dogs, and then we did like uh, the the sheriff is, um, or I'm sorry, the under sheriff is one of our um, former handlers, and wanted a. Um, a dog that <laughs> the, the the dual purpose dog they have is not they cannot take him in public. <laughs> not they don't mm-hmm. want to either. But so no. this one this one like that's what he's for like Amber Alert search and rescue stuff because we have tornadoes and whatever mm-hmm. else and and so they wanted their own and he does you know Amber Silver Alerts he does narcotics and he's a cool little dog man I mean you know and his handler's great Drew uh, is a good handler and I mean. They're super stoked with it, but yeah, I mean, that's a, I can't believe, I mean, these guys, that county has three dogs, and you guys had fucking 60. <laughs> I can, fucking this, fucking this. handlers are listening to this, they're like, holy shit, I don't even have 60 officers in my fucking department. <laughs> 
Yeah, bro. So the SAR dogs got a lot of work down there. So I, I inherited that program, you know, a few years into me being a trainer, and and I am not a believer in the bloodhound as a breed at all. I mean, we could probably spend fucking you know a whole other podcast on that, but it's to me, it's just it's just a, it's just a farce. You know, if you, you have a dog that doesn't have a tangible reward system, it, for me, it's it's just I don't I don't get it. You know, so with the bloodhounds that we had, I mean, one bit the fucking lady at Dunkin' Donuts, the one bit the fucking <laughs> other lady at, at Carvel, like they're. They are. They, they're they, assholes. They growl they're, at you. They're fucking assholes. Too. Assholes. Yeah, they're nerve bag assholes, bro. Yeah. So yeah. all these all these dudes that are doing these hot tracks and all this stuff, these bloodhounds. What's the reward system? It's fucking hugs and kisses for the track layer. Well, and a, then a, the person that. Yeah, and then you have the whole issue. Like Eric and I both are big proponents of. I, I hate and almost flat out refuse to train a, a dog that to track that doesn't bite. And with very rare circumstances. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, Eric has said it, and Eric has gone off yeah. the deep end on it several times before. Right? But, <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, and, you know, it is what it is, and it's a southern thing, and I get it, and whatever else, and there are other agencies that do it. But I personally just don't believe in doing that. But, yeah, no, and those dogs are dicks. I mean, they're they're hard to handle. Well, not necessarily hard to handle, but, yeah, I mean, they're the weirdest, like, nerve bag, like, shit that should, that's, Shit that should scare them doesn't. Like, they're not scared of stuff that will actually kill them. But, I mean, stuff that is... <laughs> seriously, like, fucking trash cans or a fire hydrant. They're like, oh, God, that's fucking sketchy. And they'll bark at it. And then, the, I mean, it's a... We had one, or I had one around a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, fuck this dog. We're going to use something else. And I ended up finding a, a female, like, tiny, pointy-ear dog to do some tracking. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is way better. But, yeah, no, they're fucking assholes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, don't do, I don't like them as a breed either. So you're you're I mean, back the, to the, the, yeah the the reward system the reward system is something they don't give a shit about they don't want the hugs and kisses they don't want to be touched they don't want to be fucked with so I'm I'm wide open I'm not a big always never you know generalized type of person I'm wide open and receptive for someone to show me actually my buddy Mike Lilly down in uh, Henry County he's got one that he swears by and I, he's a fantastic trainer so I. I trust his judgment, but for me, bro, my, my little narrow scope and experience of the, of the breed, eh. So that's why we went to the GSP, and the one we got was a, was a fucking, she was amazing, bro. A fucking vacuum and a, and a marathon athlete. I mean, she could just go and go and go. So we, I mean, I agree with you 100% about these, these dogs not being able to bite. So what we had down there was a little bit of a niche issue is that they, the people that, you know, were infiltrating our, sh- our shorelines illegally, illegal aliens, they'd go to the Bahamas, they'd rent a go fast or pay, you know, somebody to be a human trafficker. They'd, they'd pile up, bro. They'd pack a boat like sardines that hit the beach as fast as they can onto pa- the island of Palm Beach where Trump lives, bail into these multi-million dollar, billion dollar estates, like scattered like cockroaches, bro. And we couldn't take a bite dog to go fucking track them because back then, under the prior administration, they would, they would find them hiding in people's houses, burglary, in their cars, burglary. And what would they do is the, uh, the border the Customs and Border Patrol would grab them, give them a $7,000 coupon and say, welcome to America. So... But, you know, once the administration's changed, I, I developed a little protocol where, because, bro, these, they would fight. They would fight with you, too. They'd, they'd do burglaries. They'd fight, actively resist you. And we had a, a floppy-eared, speckled friggin' dog at the end of the leash. So I developed a protocol where, because my administration would not allow a bite dog, that we'd have the hound out front or the, the pointer 
she'd be doing the initial tracking. I'd have two patrol dogs on short, you know, at a flat heel flanking her, but they're readily available if necessary. So I would never, ever, ever consider tracking a crime um, with, a, with a floppy dog. So I'm, I'm right there with you. But I developed this protocol because the island is very small. If you've never been down there, there's one way, there's a couple ways onto the island. But as soon as a crime pops off, they lift the bridges and there's no way onto the mainland unless you're swimming. So it's, uh, if it was a go time, you know, we've had some apprehensions on other, other crimes and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You're, you're not getting off the island. So, but yeah. not the point with a floppier dog. No. So you're back there. You got, you're working, working a dog. You got 60 dogs. Um, that's a lot of dudes. So take a second if you, if you want to, and, um, shout out to any dudes that were just like taught you some shit, like guys that, that were amazing there that were doing amazing work. You know, from the beginning or, or in my police career it, and just at the, at your unit. Well, there, there's some very talented individuals, man, that they've, you know, since my shit popped off, which we'll probably get into is they've been issued a gag order that they can't speak to me. Mm-hmm. And I would never, you know, push that issue with them and, and, you know, put them in a position where they could get as fucked as I did by the corrupt mafia administration they work for. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's really good dudes. Got, there's a guy named James Barker. who's a fucking phenomenal guy. I haven't talked to him since my shit popped off. You know, Terry Sneed, phenomenal fucking handler, man. With a super, super fucking dog. Um, you know, uh, Adrian Maldonado. You know, some of those dudes, they're, they're putting in work, man. And they're, and they're doing good shit. And it's, uh, you know, that administration does, does not want any of their cops doing police work. So, especially the new guys getting in, man, like right now, like when I got booted, some, it created a vacuum with some other shit and some other guys got in, but they're in a, they're in a detrimental time to be working a dog in that environment because they're, they're brand new and they're getting trained by incompetence and they don't really want them using their dogs. And there's going to come a time when that one percenters out there where they got to use their dogs who are young and experienced and didn't receive proper training. And I, you know, my, I, my heart sinks thinking about them being out there and in that environment where, they're not prepared and the dogs aren't prepared, man. So, but anyway, there's some, there's some, some, go ahead. Or, or they're getting, or they're second guessing themselves at that last, at that second. They're like, ah, this, I don't want to get in trouble. If you're doing, trust me from doing it for 23 years, if you're doing police work in this, in the moment, worried about that uh, policy or worrying about that, uh, that lawsuit, you are not freaking doing police work and then you're going to get killed. I, I, I hear too many stories. I talked to too many people. They're like, I'm like, well, dude, why didn't you shoot that dude? I, I was worried that I'd get sued or I was worried about getting in trouble. Even though it was split section, uh, split second, and you were right, you still hesitated. That 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 gets guys killed, and with the dog, they will hesitate um, because they're worried about administrative bullshit. Yep, they're handcuffed, bro. Physically, they're handcuffed. Emotionally, they're handcuffed. It, it is. I can't. I, I feel like I dodged the bullet, man. Literally, and got out when I did. My stepson got out of the Marine Corps. I did four years there. Got out of staff sergeant. He was a, his father is, and his, my wife, his mother were were all cops. Cops were in his bloodline. He's a patriotic um, uh, kid, and and he wanted to pursue this career. We're grateful he did. He's now making a ton of money, spinning wrenches on uh, working on turbine jet engines, man. And uh, it, it just it's it's terrifying to think if you got it. Just imagine starting over today, man. 
in, in this environment. We know, I know you're getting out, Eric. Ted, mm-hmm. you're a fucking genius for never getting in. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's a it, it, it's a tragedy, bro. Because it, it, to me, I was I was cops. I was law enforcement's biggest fan. I loved that job. I loved it too much, man. I was in early, stayed late, blood, sweat, and tears, and I dedicated to these to the dogs, to the handlers, to to, to my county, bro. It went from the best job in the world coming off coming off nine eleven, and and a sh- you know eighteen years later, whatever the math is, seventeen years, and, and becoming the worst job in the world and it's, it's it's crazy how it's twisted man it is absolutely crazy I, I cringe thinking about having to start over today absolutely bizarre man and people know it too they don't want the job um so we typically have at my when i so i tried out for my police department in 1995 and there was i don't know 750 people that took the test we're back then we're talking about a 150 180 man department so 750 people take the test. Um, we just we just had a test not too long ago, and after the written test, which is pretty easy, um, and then the PT test, which is very easy, we had 19 people. 19 oh God, bro. people. There, there, it, bro, it, it is circling the drain, and it, 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 it's over. Like the epidemic is here, and it's over. Because look at the there's no if the millennials would even get motivated enough to stick their fucking hand out to take the torch there's no even the torch to pass it to <laughs> they, 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 this is the prior administration and, and what what these police administrations bought into all that shit to go fuck cops to go after cops and 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 all the power and control bullshit that these mafioso wannabe administrations play they, they don't i mean they'll be they're thinking they'll be long gone and they won't be affected by it bro, but it's over like you're not going to find anybody to do the job. Like my best year, I flirted with a hundred grand, breaking my ass. Cops make good money in South Florida, bro. But I, I was in a shooting two years ago, clean as it gets. Guy tried to fucking kill me, and I had to defend myself and people around me, bro. And I am still fucking getting sued today. Like all my personal assets are on the table. It is not worth seventy, a hundred fucking grand to do that and have to deal with your corrupt administration to turn their back on you. It, it, it's it's crazy, man, and it's it's sad because, like I said, bro, it used to be the, the best job, especially working a dog, man. It used to be the best job in the world. All right, we're gonna go ahead and take a second here and um, get our sponsors up and running on this thing. Then we'll get back and we'll get into a couple things and uh, kind of get into the power biting stuff with Justin and and where we're headed in the future. Proven canine training, proven results, providing scenario-based training for law enforcement based on years of law enforcement and military service. Creating dogs for scent detection, tracking, patrol, and obedience. National certifying official for all aspects of canine and canine-related work. Watch for seminars across the country, near your locations in Northeast New Mexico and Amarillo, Texas. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Proven Canine Training, the letter K, the number 9, or at www.provendogtraining.com or give JJ a call at 417-844-5816. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennels. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out 
the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Everybody remembers Pat and Nolan from uh, the Bravo 3 episodes, which uh, Eric and I are going to be at that again uh, next year. And then also the episode we just did a couple weeks ago uh, talking about e-collars. In that episode, Pat and Nolan talked a lot about the proper use of reward markers. We had a lot of positive feedback on that and a lot of people wanted to hear more from him. Until we managed to have him back on, the easiest way to get some more info was to mark your calendars from November 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He's going to be having a live webinar. Don't worry if you can't attend the webinar live as everybody that signs up will receive a recording of the webcast for your training library. Are you tired of fighting for control of your dog in training and on the streets? You know, one of the things we talked about during that podcast was the idea of competing motivators, and Pat addresses it there, and he addresses it in this webinar very, very well. Uh, do you wish you had a way to explain what you want and a way to let the dog know how it can get what he wants from you and how you can get what you want out of the dog? Do you wish to put as much effort into obeying your commands as he does into chasing his tug or his ball? This is the way to do it. Training and drive is what Pat calls it. And the proper use of reward markers will improve your control, reduce conflict, and it'll speed up training without reducing the dog's drive and desire for work, which is something we all want. In fact, it's one of the things that we wash dogs for most. It's not for lack of identification of odor. It's for lack of willingness to work. Pat will be joined by his wife, Connie Cleveland, who is also a professional trainer and really good in her own right, who competes in obedience and field trial competitions. So hit them up at patnolan.com. That's P-A-T-N-O-L-A-N.com. And there'll be a sign-up page there. Also, we'll put it in the show notes. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. Who's <laughs> going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O at alnsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. All right, we're back. Working Dog Radio, Justin Rigney, uh, formerly of Connecticut and South Florida law enforcement. Now, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, I believe, is where we're uh, located. So, um, yeah, 
we're, we're, Justin and I are definitely on the same page about uh, how the how the past used to be in you know in law enforcement. I got hired in 1996. Um, rock and rolled, had a great career going on, and um, the way things. And I've had a really good job in the last since I've been the head trainer since 2011. Since 14, it's all I've done is the dogs, and it's still um, a minefield of bullshit for me to deal with. And I'm just going to go ahead and let someone else deal with it. So let's get into what real quick, you know, as much as you can, you know, touch on some things about what got you out of Florida. Well, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a, some bullshit that popped up in the unit where long story short, these, these incompetent trainers were starving dogs to make them perform for food-based training. And, uh, there was two brand new guys that got in the unit before I got booted. And, uh, they're both friends of mine. You guys that, you know, we did dirt, bro. They've been on a bunch of traps with me, dog bites, pursuits, bailouts, fights. I mean, guys that were in the mix with me, these guys were in my top two choices to get in the unit. And, uh, we, cause we, we all took a vote and they were my top two. They got in the unit and they were supposed to come to me for training. But the last second, there was some switcheroo. They went to the daytime trainers where the, where the dudes I had the issues with. Well, the, the moment they arrived in the unit, the, the happiest day of their career, a couple young dudes, they were sat down and given a gag order, okay, to not speak to me <laughs> in their hmm. own unit. You can imagine that shit. Welcome to the unit. You're not allowed to talk to Rigney. And, got, you know, of course, it didn't stop. So we, we always, you know... And there was another guy that I was training that went to that that date. He was supposed to come to me to become a trainer. I already trained him, you know, previously. He was supposed to come to me to become a trainer. He got vacuumed into that that daytime shit. So, blah blah blah. Fast forward the tape. This one kid who I was very close with, I uh, I'd seen his dog at the uh, the facility one day, and he looked like a skeleton. And uh, my wife was actually with me at the time. She saw it. You know, like I was saying, my wife was a cop for 24 years. Her father was a veterinarian down in Broward County for over 30 years. She grew up in a vet clinic. And uh, in her 24-year career, five of that she spent in the Bureau strictly working animal abuse cases. You know, she's an animal lover. She runs our pet training business. She raced barrel horses or hold, you know, her for 25 years. And she's no bunny hugger. Trust me, if there's an unruly animal, she's the first one in line to, to get it right. She saw this dog and freaked out. She saw it in the video as well and brought her to tears. You know, emaciated, bro. You can count every vertebrae popping out of its skin, every rib, hip bones protruding, catabolized muscle in the hips. So I pulled this kid aside one day and I said, bro, what is the deal? I said, is your dog not engaging for, for food? He goes, no, he's a, he's a crackhead for food. He's a rock star in the training, but they're still making me withhold the food. I said, fuck your gag order. I said, this is exactly what you're going to do. And I put him on a feeding protocol because I, I brought food-based training to that unit. But those, those dudes on that day shift training schedule skipped class. And they, they did their own mutated version of what they think was food-based training, but it was actually criminal neglect. So I put this kid on the protocol. Um, I kept my mouth shut because I knew that he'd be heavily scrutinized. He would take the heat. I figured I'd take some shit, not not to the level that it ended up being, but I knew that these guys would, would they play dirty. So I kept my mouth shut. I kept in contact with this kid. Um, he kept giving me updates. Oh, bro, the dog's gaining weight. He's a rock star. He's doing everything's great. No problem. It's all good. I kept my mouth shut. I moved on. Well, <clears throat> probably three weeks or so after that, I'm riding out in my car, and uh, Tony Guzman gives me a call, and he, he's a buddy of mine. I've known Tony almost 20 years, and he's one of our one of our, our top or main vendor. 
And at the time, I was the president of the Florida Law Enforcement Canine Association, which is an organization that provides certifications in every phase of law enforcement, canine, police canine training. He called me to set up a certification. He goes, by the way, these guys, these incompetent cowards in the, the daytime training academy, just sent him back a dog that washed it out after several months. And he said, he said he was, the dog was extremely skinny. He was emaciated. That so bad that the fact that his, his contact, his partner from Europe was at Tony's facility when the dog got brought back. And when the partner said, I'm not taking that dog back to Europe, I'll get arrested in Germany if they see that dog in a crate. That's how bad the dog was. So, and I saw pictures of that dog. He was worse than the first dog I mentioned to you about the, the kid that I put on the feeding protocol. So enough's enough, man. So I called a meeting, spit my, uh, to information through my first, my sergeant, I went through my chain of command. I had a very uh, close relationship. I thought with my lieutenant at the time who I had an open door policy. I I've been to his house. We played softball together, blah, blah, blah. None of that, all that shit's hollow. I'm sure Eric, as you can imagine, you can attest to in your, in your career that these are hollow relationships. You think they're built on blood, but they're just hollow. So anyway, I went through my chain of command. I had a video of that first dog. I showed it to my sergeant who I was actually training at the time. Um, he was brand new to canine and I explained the situation to him. I saw that I showed him the video, his eyes popped out of his head and says, we got to handle this. I went to Lieutenant and simply to, to, to discuss an, uh, a possible or a way to fix this problem in house, not to wait for it to ever go out of that room for it to ever go out of the unit. But these dudes, they're masterminds at the, uh, at the manipulation game. So in my agency, SWAT, ran the entire agency. They infiltrated every unit and division and it canine was no different. So SWAT ran everything up to the top of the food chain. Well, these cats that, that, that were committing these crimes against these dogs were all SWAT people. So what happens is when SWAT gets exposed, they flip the script. So what they did is they, they took a lie to the sheriff and they told him that if I demanded that if those two individuals that were torturing these dogs didn't get kicked out of the unit, that I was going to take that video to the media, which is absolute bullshit. They brought that lie to the sheriff and I was gone. You know, it didn't take very long for me to get booted. Now on top of getting booted, they, they hemmed up some bullshit charges on me as far as insubordination and, and that original meeting to my lieutenant, which is absolute bullshit. Never happened. And uh, my, my, it was almost like a Hollywood script, bro, because I work at night. My lieutenant works during the day. This daytime academy is going on. I came into my own time, playing clothes to just fix this problem. This is a fucking serious problem um, to educate these idiots on how to actually do this the, the right way. As I'm having this meeting, one by one, bro, it's almost like planned, like a Hollywood script. These dogs would walk by the lieutenant's office right by his window. A sidewalk was 10 feet away from his front window. One dog would walk by my sergeant and go, look at the skin and bones on that one. Well, one by one, they'd run out to do an exercise and come out. There was five dogs in that class. All of them were cracked out. My lieutenant's got his elbows on his desk, his head buried in his hands going, oh, my God, I thought they were skinny, like he's panicking. Mm-hmm. These dudes, the, my lieutenant, my sergeant were 100% on board with me about how to fix the issue, get it resolved. And I told him in that meeting, these two individuals, I said, I guarantee you they're going to find a way to try and get me. They both, my sergeant promised me it would never happen. He won't let it happen. My lieutenant told me, you're good. We're good. We're just going to fix the problem. I left that, that meeting in good standing. Well, as the lie got trickled upstairs 
And I got brought back downstairs. I told the boss that I, I'm talking about running to the media with, with, a, with a movie or a video, which is absolute, complete bullshit. They knew exactly what to tell the old man to get him hot. And that shit trickled down fast, down, downhill fast. So I got booted. They hemmed me up with uh, insubordination to my lieutenant in that meeting. They hit me up with uh, appearing on social media in uniform. And uh, when I first got hired by that agency in 06, um, I was married to my ex-wife at the time. We had a business called, I think at the time, was South Florida Canine Services. Well, you have to put in a, a memo for secondary employment, mm-hmm. which just simply says what, what business you're doing. So I put that memo in, got approved, and it, it's a lifetime memo. <laughs> so, but when I, that marriage got dissolved, that business got dissolved, dissolved, and we opened up a business where we have now have Canine Services Unlimited many, many years ago, I forgot to change the name on a, me- on a memo. <laughs> Same exact job description, doing the same exact shit, but yet they found another policy violation. So they, they dug as deep as they can to hem me up. And they booted me out, which cost me about $30,000, dollars 30000 depending on overtime. So I filed a whistleblower suit. But this is how the shit rolled downhill. So I was in a shooting. Um, it was New Year's Eve or, uh, 2016 going into 17. I forgot my math, right? So that was a shooting I mentioned before, which I'm I'm getting sued and the agency is getting sued. So when my shit popped off and I filed a lawsuit against my agency, a whistleblower lawsuit, I didn't even know that shit existed. So as we started rapping with some friends, they said, hey, you might want to look into this because you have recourse. Because anytime, and I want to educate anybody that's listening, that's a cop or any in any type of, of employment, that if you bring forth safety violations, crimes, anything of that serious nature to your supervision, you are federally protected by OSHA that you cannot have any sanctions brought against you. Well, we know that that's bullshit. They'll just find a way to do whatever they want, but you have recourse and it's called a whistleblower act. And of course, every state's got their, their version or, or what, but I want people to understand clearly that you have recourse. And I, again, I never went into this thinking it would turn this way. I knew there'd be some bullshit, but I figured it'd be a, a heated trainer's meeting where we'd motherfuck each other and come to a fucking plan how to get these dogs healthy. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that these dudes would take in the direction they did. But in the same breath, I have no regrets. They, they did me a favor. They, they've blessed my life more than I can even imagine. But to the, to the listener, especially the, the people in law enforcement, you, you have recourse. And I've got one of the top labor attorneys in Florida that has taken a tremendous amount of money from my agency for the same dumb shit that they always do. Yeah, it's, so it's my, weird because employees. when you're going over this history, when I met you, you were the president of that Florida uh, Law Enforcement Canine Association. Uh, I yep. think it was in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, yeah. At that seminar, that must have all broke off like right shortly thereafter. Yeah, probably did, man. I get my timeline gets shitty, man. It's probably got I got so much shit going on with bullshit that it's I get the timeline gets clouded, but it's uh that was it, bro. I got booted, and I knew that I had a buffer. Like the, the administration I work for is extremely vindictive, man. It's no secret. They get you, and they get you, and they keep getting you. So especially if you decide to fight, and I knew I couldn't fight from the inside. So they and I, normally what happens is. When you get put on administrative leave, they got put on administrative leave, bro. They took my gun, they took my car, they took my dog, which was my fucking dog. I've mm. had him since he was a puppy. I don't, I donated him to the agency, and nobody can get their hands on him. Always an asshole. 
So the kennel setup is not ideal. It's small little, it's like a little four by four on one side with a guillotine and door and four by four on the other. It's not an indoor outdoor. It's completely indoor. So nobody can get their hands on this fucking dog. So I'm telling them, I'm begging. I'm like, let, please let me go to the office. You know, you strip me of everything because they, they conjured up these bullshit, uh, insubordination charge on me. So I, I got treated like an inmate, bro. I had to go to my canine facility where it's a gated compound. I had to wait at the gate, wait for the, the daytime watch commander to escort me in like a fucking inmate to pick my dog up and let him out for 10 minutes a day. One of the times I went to his kennel, bro, there's a care sheet that tells you when in the dogs was given food or water or welfare check or whatever. Well, I get there, he's swimming in his own shit. There's shit in his water bucket. And then my lieutenant happened to be there. I said, bro, do whatever you're going to do to me. But the, the dog doesn't deserve this shit. You know, he's swimming and living in his own shit. You know, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. He doesn't deserve it. So a couple of days later, they booted me out of the unit. And I bought the dog back for a dollar. But, yeah. uh, Still have him? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do PSA with him. Oh, really? (laughs) Fuck. Ted? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Adrian Ray is my decoy, so it's up to her what we do. But APSA is our game, and and that's what we're going to play for, man. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, everybody hear that? Right. (laughs) I heard. I was like, wait, what what did you say? (laughs) So you're out. We got a legal fight going on. Uh, how, How do we end up in Knoxville, Tennessee? It's funny, man. My Tennessee is is a hotbed for retired Florida cops and firefighters, man. Because there's no state income tax like there is in Florida, so we don't want to lose on our money. And mm. I, I learned a funny term here here in Knoxville and Tennessee area that they call us halfbacks, man. So so muppets like me that grew up in the Northeast, they think that uh, they think that Florida is the, the the golden the golden grace. Mm. So you go down to Florida, and it takes you takes you 20 years to figure out the shithole, and you move halfway back to the Northeast, and you stop in Tennessee. So they, they yeah. call us halfbacks, man. So nice. so anyway, we had a lot of friends here. We got some other folks that are retired at the same agency as my wife, you know, Terry and Mark May, Hollywood people, and and uh, their daughter. Kristen was a Broward cop and she moved up here probably about 10 years ago. My wife bought a French bulldog up here from a lady named Lisa Rose. She was a a good breeder. My wife came up here and fell in love with it and absolutely loved it. She came up in the fall and just, this is no beautiful, more beautiful place in the mountains in the fall. So it was always in the back of our minds, you know, we wanted to come here. I had a lot more time, man, because the first agency I worked for was a different pension plan than than Palm Beach County. So I lost out, man. So I only had almost about 12 years in that pension system in the Florida State Retirement. So I I still had 25 to do, man. I had had to do 25 years. So I had quite a bit of time, man. So we, we put together this extra strategy. I knew I had a buffer of time with my shooting case. My agency needed me to play nice because they fucked that call up royally. Um, they needed me to play nice and I knew it was hands off for me. So I had this window of time before, you know, my whistleblower case was filed. I was getting sued on the shooting. I knew that, that I had to play this chess match that I had a little window of time. So bro, it, it's God's plan. Doors just opened, man. I, I knew a facility that became available, a canine training facility that became available up here, five, 10 minutes from my house, bro. It's, it's turnkey, 24 kennels, USPCA training field lit. You know, it, 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 it's amazing, bro, the, the timing of everything. Damn. The biggest game, cha- the biggest game changer for us, and, and Eric, I think you and I chatted about it, was, you know, my wife left Hollywood Police Department. She was one of the last few members that got this benefit that she, she remained, she retained her benefits for life for free. And um, her insurance benefits. So we, this whole thing popped wow. off, man. We found out by accident that she can add me to her plan for sixty bucks a month. 
done. Oh, I, I always knew I could, yeah, I always knew I could make more money in the private sector, especially in the pet training. I'm sure as you're experiencing now too. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I love police work. I love working in dog work. Bro, after the bullshit, after getting sued for my shooting, it, it ain't worth it. All the shit we've talked about, once that insurance hit, bro, we're out. We, we, we just hit the market right, bro. We, we bought our house down there in Florida at the right time. We sold at the fucking right time. We did very well in our house down there. The market was getting hot up here. It's it just the time. It was, was just perfect, bro. We, you know, the, you know, God just planned this, this, uh, this, this extra strategy for us. And it, it was, it, it couldn't have gone more seamless, man. Yeah. I saw, you know, cause I watch you online and everything. I see the, uh, got a new vehicle all stickered up. You got, uh, the, yeah. Right up where you left off. Pet stuff is rocking and rolling right away. It did, man. I, we were fortunate. I was a little bit spoiled in Florida, bro, because the agency I worked for had 4,000 employees. You know, cops got big mouths and they all got dogs. So the word of mouth advertising for pet training was, was nonstop, bro. My phone would blow up nonstop. I never advertised once. I might put a little shit video on Facebook just to do it, but I never advertised once and my phone never stopped ringing. We were booked for months, months ahead, more than I could handle. And there was always a trust factor. They knew me. It was referral from a friend, and they just knew this is the guy bringing me dogs. I'd get the call. They'd say, come get these fucking dogs now before they're in the pounds kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So move, moving into a new market, um, we still, I, was still, I still go to Florida, man, a lot. My daughters are still down there, and I still do a lot of business going back and forth. We were doing a tremendous – I was going down a couple times a month, picking up boarding trains, bringing them here, doing the training, and bringing them back. That's starting to tail off a little bit as, as business is picking up. But when we got here, man, it was hitting a whole new target market. So we got the vehicle wrapped. I don't know if you know Adam Katz. Um, yeah. He's a dog guy who's got a, he's got a yeah, brilliant Google AdWord campaign that we tapped into his, his uh, network there and it immediately paid dividends, man. The phone rings nonstop. It, it takes a few bucks to get it going, but it pays mm-hmm. itself immediately. Like that van, bro. That van from um, um, the, the place I got it, but it has paid itself off hundred times over. I, I can't go anywhere without getting flagged down. That, that's still old school advertising still does work. But as you know, man, it, it's social media. So that's why you maybe see me a little more on social media now than in the past, because you know, just doing dogs full time. We had to jump into that, that world of advertising and everything too. Yeah. As much as I hate Facebook, man, you boost a post. If you do it correctly on Facebook, you'll get calls and calls oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. calls. Oh, and it, so, it, it definitely works. So <laughs> it does, bro. And, and not knowing any of that side of the world, bro, like that wasn't me. I'm like, I'm, I have a saying, if I can't put a leash or handcuffs on it, I shouldn't be talking about it because I have a very, very narrow, narrow, narrow scope of knowledge. So advertising and all that shit. So, you know, I, I by accident stumbled across a new uh, Gary Vaynerchuk on my news feed. So I, I grabbed his audio books. I can't read shit, bro. I can't retain anything, but I travel so much. I grab audio books and I just was soaking up his stuff, man. And, and using some of those techniques that he spits out and, just trying to educate myself on how to reach that social media market, man. And, and I, I think, like you're saying, Facebook is where it's at for our pet market. That seems to be, you know, IG is a little bit like younger crowd. And, um, you know, the YouTubers for sure. I mean, my daughter's all up on YouTube, but it seems like Facebook is, is that, that target market of people, you know, that are um, wanting to do pet training. Right. So uh, for the current, the current handlers that are listening to this, like the guys that are still handling a dog, still doing work, still doing still fighting the good fight what advice yep. can you give them to uh i mean i guess just what advice can you give them i mean going from, i mean coming from either from you or from eric but more specifically from you you know moving forward 
And the way things are. Yeah, you, you've heard me run my trap, bro. So this is this is basically what happens at Cop 101 is that you have a dude that gets gets hired as a cop, likes police work, then likes canine. He is he is a victim of his own environment too. So he's trained by a guy that's got a very narrow scope of knowledge, and it's old school, and it's an old school ground and pound system that no longer works for the dog of today. Since 9/11, the global demand on dogs has gone through the roof, and you guys experience it too, man. It, it's oh, yeah. back in the day, 20 years ago, you you could go to Holland, you can get a dog fresh off the Campy trial trial field for 2,500 bucks, get him over here, torture him with shitty dog training, abusive electric collar training. He had plenty of of horsepower left to eat and hunt on the street no problem now these dogs they're staying they're a year old they're probably nine or ten months old the, 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 you have to unlock drives you have to you have to get them exposed you have to, to to bring the right style of training you have to use all four quadrants to make sense for these dogs there's no more ground upon and these guys that haven't yeah. evolved are breaking dogs left and right and i don't see how these vendors survive you know tony's been around 30 years he's, he's got a he's got a monster mega operation where he can fix he's a very very talented trainer and his staff is amazing so these fucking idiots that break his dogs he can salvage them fix them and and has other places to put them but you know these guys that are vendors where they're putting on these fucking performance guarantees i i I get some of the help but i i think i don't know if you guys and i talked about it but we should develop this vendors union where you fucking take the dog you test it you bring him to your vet he's yours no uh, fucking reason. Uh, yeah. Scott, no, my partner Scott. I mean, he he and I have refused to sell dogs to people that want a performance guarantee that buy a green dog, and you know, and I'm not going to mention the department because Scott will fucking stab me. But <laughs> they basically said, you know, no, we're not going to sell a green dog to them, give them a performance guarantee, and they were like, why not? And in more words than one, Scott basically told him the trainer was a fucking dipshit. So. Which he is, yep. and he's still a, he's still a fucking trainer there, and the guy couldn't train a fucking hungry dog to eat or shit outside, but he's their head fucking canine <laughs> guy. So, you know, and like to say I have a little respect for him is an understatement. You know, he's a good handler, but yeah. he's you know, and he's a good cop, I think. And but you know, as far as him being able to take a green dog to finish, and especially now as green as like what we kind of define as green now, is non-existent. I mean, it's the guy's no. and that's yeah. and that's what Scott Scott was like, dude. If we give this motherfucker a dog, he, I mean, we're gonna get it back, you know, in four or five months, and they're gonna tell us the dog sucks, and then we got to replace the motherfucker, and then now we've got a dog we can't do anything with. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. So yeah, bro, these, you know, these, these dudes bring they bring back they bring you back a broke dick dog. Bro, way past the agreement, and, and they and they want to bring it back to you. And if you don't take it, they motherfuck you in the industry, man. So there, there's there's a select few guys uh, I could count on less than one hand that I would give a performance guarantee to, man. And, and I don't know how they survive. So really, to answer your question, man, it, what advice I'd give to handlers or younger handlers is that they, they, you've probably heard me run my mouth a lot about getting qualified civilians into the law enforcement canine training arena. And, and it's, it, the reason I say that is because of my career has come full circle and I've seen us both sides. And I know how hard it is to do. And I, I, I applaud you, Ted, for the, the movement you've done and the, the work that you do. And, and if, because you're handcuffed, if a canine guy that's in a small agency or a small training group, you, you know, you show up on a Wednesday and you fucking dick around forever and you go out and run a little bullshit track and that's it, you're going to meet the one percenter. And you're not prepared because the agency wants you to stay in your fucking car and do nothing. So you and your dog have to be better prepared than guys like Eric and I started back in the day where our dogs got fed like on a nightly basis and got very, very street savvy. So, 
your dogs have to be better. And not only do have to be better, the training has to be better because they're younger. And like I said, the drives have to be unlocked. You have to use all four quadrants to make sense of these animals. You have to give them time to mature. So I think yeah. you guys were talking earlier about the length of schools. I, I got my balls broken a little bit about time, but I, I could get, I could, I could squeeze six months out of these dogs and they needed it, man. They, I, again, they were a year on paper, but you look at them and like, bro, I say that all the time. I say, you know, but on paper, like I shouldn't be doing where, what I do and where I'm at, you know, I don't have a resume. Like I wasn't in the military. I wasn't a police officer. And, you know, I, I got, and I got a lot of pushback from uh-huh. in the beginning and, you know, once I sort of kind of, you know, kind of whatever came into my own or however you want to put it, you know, I would run up against guys that do pencil whip and do have the paper resume. And, you know, I would have conversations or confrontations with these guys, either in person or in however. And my only response is you had better be motherfucking flawless. You had better never make a mistake in front of me, and you'd better be so good that it is stunning. <laughs> because you, I it's have not. an excuse. I, I have an excuse. I'm not a cop. You're right. I don't know what it's like to be on a traffic stop at three o'clock in the morning. My backup being twenty minutes away, and the only thing there is to produce is, is my dog. But I sure as fuck know how to train a dog to make sure that that dog is going to save your ass. Can you do that? And at that point, it kind of is like a leash check, and they're like, well, you know, and they're, you know, and then it's a dick measuring contest and whatever else. But that's, you know, that's kind oh, of yeah. my stance now. It's like, okay, you, yeah, you're right. You have the paper resume. You're right. You had better be motherfucking flawless. You had better be so good that it is shocking. It, watching you work it, it better, be, better be shocking. And well, and I yeah. know it's hollow, and they know it's hollow. And then, you know, when it, when, when a paper resume is no longer impressive. When I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, that's great. You know, I mean, I'm not hiring you, so show me what you can do. Like, go do something. Like, let's do something. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, hold on. What do you mean let's do something? And, you know, and I ran into it the other day. You know, we were sharing videos from... Uh, we were sharing videos from the thing in New England and some dickhead from upstate New York that's never even handled a fucking dog. He's a cop, and he's a SWAT handler, and he wanted to talk about tactics and this, that, and the other, and he couldn't wrap his head around the scenario that Eric and I were running. But, you know, I know people that know him, and he knows me, and I'm like, you know, you've never handled a fucking dog as a police officer. (laughs) I'm, I'm a civilian telling a SWAT guy that you've never handled a dog. Like, I have more canine experience than you fucking do. And... It didn't go over that well, which I don't give a fuck. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, it, whether I'm right or wrong, I can tell you this. And he's going to hear this, and I'm going to hear about it, and I don't give a shit. But he'll never show up at any of the training, and he'll continue to sit back and run his mouth and do whatever. And, you know, he'll just repeat whatever he's told. But he's not going to do anything. He's not going to do any real work. That I can fucking tell you. You, you know what my, my internet championship WWE finishing move is? <laughs> show me yeah show me don't tell yeah, me Miss- post Missouri <laughs> yeah show po- fucking Missouri post vid yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott my partner's fuck, fucking Scott's from Missouri he's like and every time I say something or I do something he's like just do it I'm like ah fuck alright fine <laughs> I'll go do it so well yeah so now you're in yeah, Tennessee but, you're doing pet stuff yeah. so well, where can we get you 
Well, just kind of just to wrap up that last question is to these, these guys that, that are hungry, that want more, you're going to have to do it on your own and you may have to do it on the down low. You're going to fucking, you're going to damage some egos going outside your little network. Um, the agency's not going to pay for it. it. It is all a tax write off, but you have to find qualified people, especially qualified civilians that can help you no matter what, what up until the moment of glory, we, we, we apprehend a human being in, in the real world. Up until that point, a civilian trainer can have all the experience up until that point. And they can also theorize that moment as well, too. And, and so I know I'm a buddy of mine in Connecticut that's a trainer. He's, he's seen more fucking live bites because he does ride-alongs like a junkie all the time. So he, he actually can, can, can you know, put that flag out there that he's seen that shit. But everything, building behavior is building behavior. Preparing for the certification is sport training. So you have to go. And, and the thing about, you know, when Eric and I started and Ted, when you started, man, there was no fucking, you know, internet. There was no YouTube. There was none of that shit. You were a victim of your surroundings. So that, that again, long story, long story short, that's my advice. Get out there and find qualified people who can help you and your team get better. That's what it's about, man. So Yeah, access to information um, is easy now. So, well, access oh, yeah. to people there's is no, easy. There's no fucking excuse. Access to yes. people is easy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Sifting through the bullshit is, is the hard part because to an to untrained eye, there may be some shit that looks magical, but it's absolutely fucking hollow, dangerous work, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing about social media. It's connected to three of us. It's connected so many of us in these, 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 this arena that we play in, but it's also got a, a, a disadvantage to it where there's so much fucking bad, bad information, bad techniques, and dangerous shit that's going out there. But And, and you and I, all we all do our part to expose it and that's fun yep yeah so, we just uh, uh our new chief yeah. just uh banned our new chief just banned all civilians from our canine field we have a couple civilian decoys that come down and train with us that are unbelievably amazing yeah, one of them's really fucking good jake yeah banned yep. can't come uh we had a guy who's uh in the vice president of our association who retired if he didn't keep a commission somewhere he was banned the guy handled dogs for years um oh, yeah ban just banned them because uh i don't know they thought maybe there was some impropriety get the f get the hell out of here man anyways yeah, so yeah, what I, do you I, I don't miss it no no so what do you got going forward what uh as far as uh you you got some classes coming up you got anything you're doing where can you uh i know you do lessons you'll do group training you'll do a lot of things talk talk to about that well, when I left you guys in Albany, I shot down to New Jersey. Uh, Chachi De Lorenzo asked me to come and do e-collar class for his people there, and it was a, it was a great time, man. It was uh, in Columbia, New Jersey. So that uh, I got some good reviews there. I got asked back asked back to do a uh, power biting class um, at Kristen Tedesco's place in northern New Jersey, and um, also another e-collar class um, down in southern southern New Jersey, almost in uh, Maryland. So I'll continue to do that. I have another e-car class coming up um, in the middle of November in uh, Front Royal, Virginia, for a group there. And you know, I just keep you know keep getting out there and keep doing more. So when I when I left law enforcement, I was grabbing everything I could, you know, that came my way. And and now I have to kind of stream, scale back a little bit because the pets are what pay the bills, man. You know, and, and I, I got to be here for my pet dogs, see my wife, and you know, she maintains everything she can while I'm gone. But you know, being on the road a week's tough, man. It's tough. So I was doing three day seminars. I scaled it back to two. I'm trying to do only just one thing a month, you know, so I don't miss too much time with my board and training. 
trains, but mm-hmm. um, I, I do really enjoy teaching. I get as much out of teaching as I, I would be a student because the feedback is very important. Because when, when I teach in small groups, I, I go around the room and ask people their experience, what their goals are, tell me about their dog, and a little bit of, you know about the dog and the people's background, and that, that opens the floodgates of information and the dialogue that goes back and forth. And it's, it's in those moments where we learn a lot about things, and it allows me to understand my audience and, and where, what direction they're going. And it's it's in that feedback and that dialogue that I get a tremendous amount out. I, it help, helps me helps me hone my skills as far as a, as a teacher, but also things I should add into my toolbox to make sense to, to the the audience as well. But you know, for me, it's day to day. It's just grinding grinding out the board and trains. It's uh, the pet business is is uh, for me. You know, being able to be fortunate enough to grow up in, in IPO, I played in some ring, you know, and some other sports and stuff. I was it was actually canine pro sport before it was PSA. We're going way way back. Um, and of course, my experience in law enforcement, being able to plug in my civilian experience into the real world, nothing has educated me greater than the pet dogs. And Eric, I don't know if you're experiencing that, but for me, these these dogs that we get, they're basically Ferraris built to race on the racetrack. Man, these, these dogs that we get from Tony Guzman, he's got a breeding program where he's developing these, these crosses of mouths, shepherd crosses, and bro, they're, they're fucking amazing. They're amazing creatures. They have the horsepower of a mouth, the clarity of a shepherd. And it's just the health because they're they're a mutt, <laughs> so they're they're healthy as shit, and they have an off switch and they're livable. And they're just fucking such cool dogs. You, you don't you have to be a decent trainer, but those dogs do a lot of it. For for me, when you have a pet dog that comes into your program that is fucking spoiled rotten, has been treated like a prince or a princess his whole life, it's a nerve bag. It has no drive to even live or breathe, and that's it's just been empowered to be a bully in a little environment and get away with such such a you know, you know unwanted behavior for so long that it's just programmed. So when you can get a dog into your program and you can get them through everything at the end of the program, make them look like they're happy about their job. They're very clear on it. They know there's consequences for stepping out of their lane, but you develop and, and prepare a dog to go back into an environment where you educate the owners on how to maintain the work. For me, every little pet dog has, has, has made me go into my toolbox, sift through all the shit and bring out everything I can as a trainer to make sense to those animals. Because again, they're not predisposed to behave in certain ways. They're the, counter, the total opposite. So... That's it, man. Just just plugging away at the pet dogs. Uh, in the future, I do want to get into the uh, the contractor world a little bit. Either maybe preparing my own dogs, doing some breeding. I've uh, been in contact quite a bit with Seth Morzowski with Valor Working Dogs. He's a, a Polk County, Florida canine handler, very good dude. He's, he's brought over some good blood and has a has, has produced some very very nice litters, man. So um, we've talked about joining forces and and cranking out some puppies because for me that puppies are I really enjoy the young dog work. My very first police dog was a dog for my breeding program. I saw him take his first breath on my living room floor and, and, and raise him up to apprehend people in the real world. That was pretty uh, very fulfilling for me, man. So I, I like that shit. I, I really like the young dog. So that's part of the future too, man. Um, uh, definitely the nose of the dog detection is really where my mind's at too. You know, 25 years of suit, a bunch of car wrecks. My body's pretty banged up. I want to want to sit in a fucking lazy boy with a clicker and do marker <laughs> training. <laughs> and yeah. uh, do that do detection I'm fascinated by the nose man so I really like detection so definitely be into more of that as well and, and on top of that doing some competition I still like getting out there with my dog so yeah you mentioned the guy from Valor Canine most of my mother's family lives in Polk County I don't get living in Central Florida I don't get it if you're gonna live in Florida be near well, the freaking ocean I don't get it <laughs> 
Well, they got a pretty cool sheriff, man, Grady Judd. Yeah, I'm they do. They got a lot yeah, of bass yeah. fishing too, I guess. So, maybe that's uh, it. Maybe that's a draw. Could be. So where uh, on social media or internet, where can you be found? Uh, you know, we got a website, canineservicesunlimited.com. It's letter K, number nine, servicesunlimited.com. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still not great with this shit, so I do a lot of my stuff on my personal page, you know, Justin Riggin mm-hmm. on Facebook, um, JR Canine on, uh, on uh, Instagram. Actually, I gotta even fucking look that up if that's accurate. <laughs> that's the right one, bro. I do, <laughs> I do so well Alicia on that. Will, Alicia <laughs> will tag you, I promise. Mm-hmm. It's, it's J, J Rig Canine. J-R-I-G, letter K number nine. Which I, I got to bump up my IG work, man. I have very you, little there. but You, you do got to embrace uh, IG a little bit more. It's less um, less BS than Facebook. So True. True, man. So, well, cool. I, I Ted, like how about you? I could just master my net. Yeah, good luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I am on the Instagrams at Ted underscore Scummers, at Ted underscore Summers, and of course, it's uh, working underscore dog underscore radio for the podcast. And of course, we have Torchlight Canine and the letter K and the number nine, and then Working Dog Dry Goods as always with Alicia with all the uh, cool shit that she's always doing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Cool. We, uh, I'm at Van S Canine mostly on Instagram on Facebook. I have Van S Canine Academy. Lately, it's been more of the pet side. I'm on on the Inst- on the Facebook page. I know a lot of people um, like to get on there and see the working dog stuff, and I put it on there. But that that business is focused that way. We just uh, finished the website vanscanine.com. That is got everything. That's got a tab for working dogs. That's got a you know if you want to talk to me about prices and working dogs, you can you can go to Instagram and see what I do, and then go look at what I offer uh, on on the website vanesk9.com, um, and our Patreon or Patreon page patreon.com it's got an app or you can get it online patreon.com get on there look up uh, working dog radio uh, it is a, a subscription service and uh, the people so far we've had great feedback ted and i have put up a ton of exclusive videos on there of us showing several different ways of imprinting dogs uh, protocol boxes uh, dutch boxes uh, we do a lot of stuff with area searches and walking you through scenarios and things like that stuff that we don't put on the on this podcast um, or right. on our youtube pages so yeah. um it, it keeps expanding, keeps going. The uh, Patreon is, a, is an awesome thing. For those of you who are on there already, thank you very much. It, we're humbled by the fact that you would pay to listen to us. Um, <laughs> two, yes. ch- two chumps from uh, the Midwest, basically. Um, but we really love it. Justin, thanks. I knew this would be a great interview. Yeah. We've been wanting to get you on here for a long time, and I appreciate you taking some time out. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, man. I'm honored that you guys asked me. I'm a fan of your work. You you make a lot of my long drives back and forth to Florida, <laughs> Florida everywhere else. Yes. Doable. So I appreciate that, man. Uh, yeah, awesome. we need to have you uh, back on and do the power, like specifically just the power biting thing. Uh, cool. We should like schedule that after the first year, though, yeah? Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, right. we'll come back. We'll do the entire power biting episode, so everybody will look forward to that, huh? Yeah, so... Cool. Uh, everybody, uh, yeah, so check out Patreon. Um, email, like, share uh, on either Google or on iTunes. But, yeah, thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Proven canine training, proven results, providing scenario-based training for law enforcement based on years of law enforcement and military service. Creating dogs for scent detection, tracking, patrol, and obedience. National certifying official for all aspects of canine and canine-related work. Watch for seminars across the country, near your locations in Northeast New Mexico and Amarillo, Texas. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Proven Canine Training, the letter K, the number 9, or at www.provendogtraining.com or give JJ a call at 417-844-5816. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys in this podcast. For if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. I want everyone to head over to Blue Nine Products. That's blue-9.com and check out the climb. Eric and I have both been using them. I personally use it to teach place commands and a couple of other behaviors. It's basically a product that weighs 14 pounds. It's UV stabilized, made in the United States. It'll hold 500 pounds by itself, so you can put ponies on it if you want. You can link them together to make larger ones, but it's great for training generalizations and teaching a place command. I also use it for sport dogs to teach directionals and to teach sends or sendaways. And it works perfect too for fend offs. In fact, my decoy at the kennel has been using it with the law enforcement dogs to fend them off to make them go low. Check them out, blue-9.com. Head over there, use the discount code WORKINGDOG20, the number two zero. Save 20 bucks off your purchase of a climb. The offer expires October 31st of 2018. So if you're listening to this after that, head over there anyway and keep a head out and make sure that we'd be able to update these down the road. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.
Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite.